what if we were this unstoppable force that continued to share the gospel in the whole community? Amen. Listen, the, the love that uh, we just sang about is this reckless love that was given to us, that chases us, that continually pursues us. And so I hope that you're kind of marinating on those things as we go. Uh, but I just want to celebrate. Can we celebrate in church? Is that okay? Um, this morning, uh, one of the things that's really cool is over our past uh, two starting points classes, uh, we've had 15 to 20 people join the church. Amen? That is an incredible thing to celebrate. But also, listen, this is continually going on in our church. And I know you look around and you're like, man, there's a lot of empty chairs in there. They're coming to the early service. And uh, so the thing that was getting ready to take place is I asked Robert in the early service because uh, peop- you guys are kind of creatures of habit and uh, you hold your sacred seats. And some of our early church services sit on this side and sit on this side. And so Robert and I, and uh, last week, asked everybody to move to the middle. And so I know that Robert would have gotten killed if he would have done that to y'all, right? Uh, some of you are like deeply entrenched, holding on to the bottom of your chair going, I'm not going anywhere. And so it leads perfectly into our message this morning um, as being this unstoppable force. How many of you followed the Murdoch Mystery Files? I mean, just watched the case, watched everything that goes on there. Uh, This is one of the most intriguing things to me. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I went down the rabbit hole. I watched uh, the trials. uh, I watched his response, his rebuttal. And and this one question was continually just kind of coming to mind. Why would he murder his wife and his kid? And even throughout seeing all of this evidence and all those things that were presented, I'm still going, man, why? How? Why could you do that? Now listen, the the reality is this morning, I want to ask you kind of a weird question. Why would somebody want to kill you? Just a question. We're not going to. It's just a question to kind of lead into this. I I want you to understand. But maybe it's a wrong that you've committed, or maybe it's jealousy. Somebody's jealous of you, or your spouse has annoying habits. Have any of your spouses threatened to kill you if you did certain things again? Oh, oh, we're going to lie in church. I got you. It's crazy, but you think about this, and and here's some of the, the, the reasons that you may think about it. How many of you get annoyed with how your spouse chews? And if, if you chew one more bite, I'm going to end your life. Like you, you can't even eat at the table or you have music playing in the background. Uh, maybe it's your phone. If they answer this call, I'm going to kill them. This is supposed to be our time. This is supposed to be us. If, they, if their phone rings one more time, now listen, this is the one that kind of gets everybody. If they leave their laundry in the middle of the room one more time, I'm going to kill them. Now, the reality is all of us have probably been in that moment where we've been threatened to be killed or threatened to kill because of some annoying habit, but it actually brought me to a really good question. And so this is how sermon prep works. Uh, But this is one of the questions. Why would someone want to kill Jeff Hubbard? Now... I didn't want an answer. I wanted the answer to be, nobody would want to kill Jeff Hubbard. He's a great guy. Wow. (laughs) So as I pondered this question and I pondered this thought, here's a few reasons that I came up with. If you don't like people that talk with their hands, 
you're probably going, if he does one more hand motion, I'm going to take him out. If you are not a Georgia Bulldog fan, listen, I'm a little prideful right now. I mean, we just, you may as well put number three on our hand, right? Can I get a... <laughs> Move on, preacher, gotcha. If you are an extreme introvert and I begin to talk to you, there's a point in that conversation that goes, please stop talking. I can see it in your eyes and I just continue. That's just who I am. Uh, but last week you understood if you really don't like Reese's peanut butter cups, you probably want to kill me after last week. I get it. There's only a few reasons that we can kind of come up to this. Now listen, I want you to understand this is conjecture. This is all in humor and this is all in fun. But there's a guy that we're going to talk about this morning that was constantly being threatened to kill. And his name is Paul. I think, man, when you understand kind of the context that Paul was this unstoppable force that every time that they were threatened to kill him, he continued to do exactly what God told him to do. Amen. You think about Paul and you think about this unstoppable force that continued place to place to place to place, proclaiming the gospel no matter whether or not they almost killed him or chased him out of a city, he was virtually unstoppable. So I want you to think about this with his timeline. We're going to pick this up between Paul's third and fourth missionary journey. And if you were with us last week, you heard a little bit about the understanding that Paul was in a place where he was beginning to worship and this kind of group of people came up to him and said, we need you to kill this man. We need you to be away with him. And so the results were that he was imprisoned. And it, it's crazy that they took him to a place where they were getting ready to beat him. This Roman citizen was getting ready to be beaten. And he says, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. Can you do this to me? And they begin to untangle him and not beat him and then put him back in jail. And this kind of stopped things. But the reality is if you read Acts chapter 22, these people wanted him dead. But I want to be very clear what the reason was. The reason that they wanted him dead, I almost said so dead, <laughs> you can only be one dead. Uh, the only reason why they wanted so badly for him to be dead was for this simple reason. He was sharing the message of Christ to the Gentiles. Now you think about this, and for us, we don't see the, the, the impact or the significance of this, but in this time period, they wanted to make sure that nobody except for the Jewish population knew who God was. So because of this reason, they put this plot together. So we pick this up because Paul appeals to the religious and he appears between uh, or to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now listen, these two get lumped together a lot in Scripture, but there's some things that divide them. And we'll see that here in this passage. In Acts chapter 23 and verse 6, he starts with, Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. He says, if you want to understand Pharisees, look at my track record, look at my life. If you look at the projected path of what Paul was, he was in the hierarchy of religious leadership. He was somebody that would study under Gamaliel, which is the equivalent to going to Harvard or an Ivy League school. He was bound and destined for success as a Pharisee. 
He says, I want you to understand I relate to you. And he says, it is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. He lays out to them, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only reason that I'm here before you today. When he said this, dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, I want you to pick up in this timeline, Paul was, the previous people wanted to kill Paul, and we come to the place where he's talking to the religious leadership, the people that would understand the the current events in Scripture, the current events of what was taking place in the religious church at that time. When he said this, dissension arose between the Pharisees and the uh, the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. (laughs) Think about this. He's appealing to them, and they're beginning to move to the place with the people that they're getting ready to fight with. He says, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. I want you to understand that one of the key differences to these two religious groups, and it was such a strong division, that they, one believed, the Pharisees believed that resurrection could take place, that the angels were in place, and that the Spirit of God was there. The Sadducees denied all three of these things even existed. And you think, man, how could they not believe, or how could this even be a part of it? But do you realize religions have been fighting for years? Do you know how many wars have been started based on religious division? And the same is true in this place because the difference in religion a lot of times within people is what causes most people to fight within a household. I believe this way, I believe this way, I believe this way. And in this place, Paul speaks to them and he shares the resurrection of Jesus Christ and it angers them. Verse 9, he says, Then a great clamor arose. Imagine this, this loud clap, if you will, of anger begins to fill this room. And he says, and some of the scribes of the Pharisee party stood up. Now, have you ever watched a TV show or a movie where people are about to fight? And you you begin to kind of feel this and see this. Listen, if he stands up, it's about to be on. This is where they were. Parties stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And this sets the Sadducees off. And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be literally torn piece by piece apart, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring them into the barracks. Imagine at this point in Paul's life, these people want to kill me. Now the religious leaders are fighting amongst me so much that the guards had to rescue me because they were going to take me limb from limb. I want you to think, At this point, what would you do? As I was reading this through and kind of studying this, I think I would look at God and be like, I'm tapping out. It's somebody else's turn to want to be killed. I don't really like this anymore. 
By this point, Paul had probably taken enough, right? But I want you to go to verse 11, because God begins to comfort Paul. And Paul begins to understand that God is not done with him. And that he is to continue to be this unstoppable force. God begins to comfort Paul in verse 11. He said, the following night, the Lord stood by him. Catch this. That the Lord was with him. Listen, no matter what situation, no matter what circumstance that you're going through, if you are a believer, if you're somebody that has placed your faith and trust in Christ, God is with you. Don't forget that. God is with Paul in the midst of this. Now listen, sometimes in that situation where they're trying to tear you apart limb from limb, you're looking going, God, a little help? God, help me. They want to kill me. It says the Lord stood by him and he said, take courage. Imagine these words going, I think I just did that. I think I've I've checked that box of people trying to kill me and I'm still courageous. Gives them the instruction, for as you have testified to the facts about me. Imagine this, that God was telling Paul, hey, don't try to embellish the truth. Don't try to change things that's going to make it more palatable for them to understand. Don't say things that they want to hear. He said, testify to the facts about me in Jerusalem And so you must, you must testify also in Rome. Imagine this challenge being given to him. And now we see this unstoppable force of Paul going, hey, man, if I'm in this situation, I'm going, God, haven't I done enough? Paul listens continues to go in the direction that he was called. But I want you to know, being torn limb from limb is not the only problem that Paul is facing here. There are so many people that want to kill him that we pick this up in chapter 23 and verse 12 through 14. There's this desire to kill Paul continually. He says in verse 12, and I love this, when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Catch this. They are going to give up food. Do you know that that is not in a southerner's culture? Can you imagine? Hey, we're going to gather this morning and we're going to make sure that they don't die or that they die and we won't eat or drink until that person is dead. Some of you are going, can we do it after lunch? A little heads up, I need to prepare. But imagine that they came together. Listen to this. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. Look, I've made a lot of people mad. I don't think I got 40 people that want to kill me. But Paul, in this one instance... People want him dead so bad and realize the reason is because he shared the message of Christ with the Gentiles. 
So they went to the chief priests and the elders and said, they give themselves accountability. They said, we're, we're proud of this. We have made sure that we're strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we killed Paul. Man, that's somebody that really wants somebody dead. And as I was reading this through, it's about a four-chapter block the thought hit me and I wondered, how long did they make it? Because I've read the rest of the story and Paul continues to live. And so we pick this up in verse 26 and 27 just to make sure that there's clarity. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I think they failed. Either they failed or they all died. We don't have a scriptural account of all that took place with them. At the same time, understanding that Paul was before Felix at the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. This is Felix talking about Paul. So he sent for him often, and he conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, can you imagine how hungry those 40 people are after two years? I got to be honest. You put food in front of me and wanting somebody else to die, I want to eat. Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus and desiring to do the Jews a favor. Felix left Paul in prison. <laughs> you imagine? Paul's going, all I did was exactly what God called me to do. All I've done and all of these people want to kill me. God, I don't think this is going good. And the result is that Paul appears in Acts chapter 26 in verse 19 through 29. Paul appears to the Roman king. He starts in verse 19. He says, therefore, O King Agrippa, his appeal was met. And if you read the passages of scripture that lead up to this, you see how all of this unfolds and that every time Paul gets the opportunity, he does the exact same thing. He shares the message of Christ. He says, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. To give this kind of an understanding, Paul is laying out to him that I have obeyed and I have done exactly what God has asked me to do. He says in verse 20, but declared first to those in Damascus. If you go back to Acts chapter 9, you see how this kind of unfolds. On the road to Damascus, Paul is converted and he begins to study and begins to understand who this Christ is. And his immediate response was to go to Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all of the region of Judea. And then he says, and also to the Gentiles. Now look, this should be well received. King Agrippa was Roman. He was a Gentile. Paul continues that they should repent and turn to God. Now, I want you to under, understand the impact of what he's saying. Because he's in front of the one king that can end his life. He's going before the one. And listen, his track record is that a lot of people want him dead up to this point. Paul is this unstoppable force, goes before the king and does exactly what God told him to do. He says that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping their repentance. 
He says, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had that, I have had the help that comes from God. Realize, Paul could not have done this on his own. It took the, the God being with him, helping him through every stage of this. And he said, so I stand here testifying both to small and great. Everybody that's in this room saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. That the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Do you know why he said that? Because nobody would be willing to be killed over and over and over and over again and plotted against and continue to be able to do this. The king understood and he said, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul, his response, he said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. Paul is telling them, this has been done at the forefront. In every place that I've been, this is something that you have to know about. Love King Agrippa's response. Or he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa's response, and Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Imagine, this is that hinge point of life and death. And Paul says, whether short or long, whether it takes a long time or a short amount of time, I would to God that not only you, O great King Agrippa, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. He said, I want everybody in the my voice, everybody here to know Christ. I want them to know who Jesus is. I want you to know the peace that even though everybody is trying to kill me, this is the message that God has laid upon my heart. And I love Paul's sarcasm here because the next thing that he says, imagine this, I want all of you to know Christ Except for these chains, they're kind of annoying, and I really wish they weren't here. He says, my hope for you is that you would not be chained in captivity the same way that I am. So it begs us this new understanding, this new question for us, because Paul knew why people wanted to kill him, but he continued forward. He was this unstoppable force. 
If you read through the rest of these chapters, you'll see Paul continue to work. But every time you give this guy an opportunity, he shares the message of Christ. He doesn't care who is standing before him, whether it's a king that holds his life in his hands, the religious leaders that were so smart that they missed who Jesus Christ was. He didn't care if it was the guard or anybody in his place. He was going to share the gospel. I ask you this. You and I aren't even being plotted to kill against. But for some reason, we think sharing the gospel message is the most difficult task that we could do. Can I speak truth to you this morning? It's time for this church to be an unstoppable force in this area with the message of Christ. I don't know how you can read and how you can see what Paul is sharing and not be inspired in your own heart going, there's somebody that I need to share the message of Christ with. Now listen, I'll be honest with you. The people that want to kill me, they're going to be on the back burner for a while. Amen? I haven't found them yet. Paul, it didn't matter if you wanted to kill him. If you were the one that held his life in your hands, he shared the message of Christ with him. So there's a couple of things that I want you to learn on how to be unstoppable. Because I think Paul lays this roadmap out, and it's a very simple roadmap. It's not this complex understanding of reading for 10 years. or It's not complex. How to be unstoppable. Be courageous. Be courageous. Those words that God spoke to Paul in that moment where he's going, kind of tired of this whole courageous thing. Every time I'm courageous, people want to kill me. We were talking about this uh, the other night, and uh, if you know me, you know I'm pretty animated with things. And when I was in my younger years as a youth pastor, They said, hey, Jeff, we want you to teach one of our kids' classes. I said, it's not a good idea. They said, well, why? I said, well, I'm not really great with, like, small children. I'm kind of, like, aggressive and forceful and some of those things. And, like, sometimes that's not, like, my good setting. You don't really see me teaching children's ministry much here because I'm animated and I like structure and control and some of those things like that. So the pastor overrid, and he said, Jeff, you're going to teach this class. I was like, okay. He said, it's an easy one. It's going to be on Daniel in the lion's den. (laughs) Oh, that's good. So I come into the room, and there's, I think it's like third or fourth grade boys. And I come into the room, and none of them know me. Figured the only way to start off a Daniel in the lion's den is to help him understand who the lion was. So I come in and I roar like a lion, something like this. Roar! And all of them started crying. (laughs) I'm sitting there going, I thought we had this together. 
So maybe your courageous is not yelling like a lion. But I will tell you this. It's time for us to have the courage to, to begin to step into the places that God wants us to go. Amen. Listen, I'm tired of the reputation of the church being weak Christians. Nowhere in this passage of Scripture do you see Paul whine? That's a lot to ask. I can't believe that the church has changed into this culture where we only care about us individually. For some, it may be that you need to take the courage to place your faith and trust in Christ. Maybe for a, a long time you've kind of put it off and said, man, that's good for other people, but listen, it is a step of faith for a reason. It takes courage to step and trust the Lord. For some of you that are mature believers that have been around this for a long time and this is kind of your culture and this is your place, I would tell you that for some reason, it seems like the more mature that we get, sometimes the less courageous we get. We begin to look around and say, well, somebody should do that or somebody should do this. And we become people that direct rather than actually fulfill. Can I tell you, there's probably no more person spiritually mature than what Paul is. And his courage was priceless. I want to encourage you this morning. If you want to be a part of an unstoppable force as a church, you have to be courageous. You say, well, Jeff, this, this may cost me a promotion at work. It's not costing you your life. People are uncomfortable when you talk about this. <laughs> Paul would go, really? The division, they took me out of a room because they were going to pull my leg off. For some reason, in our culture, the mute button has been pushed on Christians. I tell you, nowhere in Scripture do I see that. You say, Jeff, you don't understand. It could be offensive. Do you think Paul was offensive to the religious leaders when he told them the truth? Sometimes the truth is offensive. Now listen, we do it in a way that is loving and kind and shows the reflection of who Christ is. I'm challenging you this morning to be courageous. The next thing that we can learn from Paul is to listen and do what the Lord asks of you. Look, I love the understanding because if I were to relate to Paul, I probably would have figured out a way to reach people that they didn't want to kill me. I would have kind of calculated risks and gone here and gone here and done this with this person and won this person over and done this. And listen, it would have been like a strategy thing. But God didn't tell Paul, hey, strategize so that you won't die. He says, Trust me with your life. I think 
one of the reasons why we struggle with being courageous and why we as a church are not always this unstoppable force that's reaching this community around us. It's because we think that we can do it a better way than God does. Look, I tell you, it's simple. Very simple. Listen and do what the Lord asks of you. It's that simple. <laughs> Jeff, you don't understand. I struggle with this. I struggle with this. I struggle with this. I love that Paul, when he was in prison, says there's this one thorn in my flesh, this one thing that is in my side that I continually struggle with. For some reason, we create this gap of who Paul was and who we are. The reality is that Paul was a human being with the exact same feelings and emotions and structure as we are. He could have bailed out and fallen back at any point. And you said, Jeff, you don't understand. God was behind him. And I tell you this morning, God is behind you in the exact same way. When are you going to believe this? Begin to understand that all we need to do is be courageous and listen and do what the Lord asks of you. So let me close with this. It's time for us to be an unstoppable church. Listen, the moves that are being made with two services, the first service beginning to take traction creating the room and the open seats for more people to come into this place. Listen, this is you and I wanting to reach this community. Do you know that if somebody comes into a church and it's full, they don't stay? The reality is that we as a church need to take action. It's time for us to be courageous. Listen, there's people that are around you that need to hear the message of Christ. I love Paul's approach. He didn't care who he was around. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. The king tells him, hey, you're out of your mind. You, there's no way that somebody can threaten your life that many times and you still name the name of Christ. I tell you for now, in our culture, we're not persecuted and not killed for sharing the name of Christ. My question is simple. Why are we not doing it? Why is it not something that is continually upon our heart, the burden that just continually eats at us to make sure everybody that is within our voice hears the name of Christ? So whatever excuse that you've began to kind of cook up with, with the time that I've been in this message, I want to give you an understanding. It hasn't cost you your life yet. There's no excuse that can be measured with that. I love what Paul, who was in this situation, and you can kind of find the humor in his statement, for me to live is Christ for me to die is gain as a believer to be with Christ is the hope 
and the goal. It doesn't matter if we're on this earth or we're in eternity in heaven. That is where we want to be. Can I tell you, nothing else matters in our life. So I ask you the same question I started with. What if they want to kill you for sharing the gospel? As I was thinking through this message, the thought hit me. Jeff, how big do you think your church would be if they were threatened to be killed for coming into the place? I gotta be honest. Be pretty small. But my desire in understanding this unstoppable force is that it wouldn't shrink one bit. So I appeal to you as your pastor this morning, somebody that loves you and cares for you and prays over you on a regular basis. It's time to take a step in being unstoppable in your faith. The world around you needs it. The people around you need to see you living this out. The community that you're placed in, the family that God's entrusted to you, the coworkers that you're around need to see this. Will you become unstoppable. Everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes just for a second. I know that when a message is this pointed and this challenging, it can come across in a way that is hard to receive. So I want you to understand this morning, the reason I tried to bury this message in scripture is because this one's a tough one to taste. This one's a tough one to digest. But the simple form of this is this. Will you be courageous? And will you listen and obey what God has called you to do? Whatever the reason that you're coming up with in your heart right now to say no, guarantee you Paul had that exact same thought. God, I'm, I'm tired of people wanting to kill me. I kind of like to be around people. So Paul utilized his time in prison writing letters that we still hold to as the church as the soul of scripture today. Look, as Christians, for some reason, we get stopped when things get difficult tell you it's got to stop for us we've got to be bold, we've got to be courageous we've got to get through the difficult times and get through those places where God can continue to use us for some reason as Christians we feel defeated more than we feel unstoppable I tell you that that defeat is Satan's biggest attack on you. Because if they feel defeated, they won't do anything. 
God is telling you. Paul probably felt defeated many times, but he continued to be courageous and he continued to listen and obey. I challenge you as a church, be courageous and listen and obey to what God has called us to do. Dear Father, I come to you humbled and thankful. And Lord, I, I want to start with me. Lord, let me be courageous. Father, sometimes the thing that holds me back the most is trying to figure out how it's going to look and how the results are going to be. Father, I know that you've called us to measure the cost and to weigh these things, but Lord, I want to just listen to you and obey you and go in the direction that you've called me to go. Father, I pray for our church, our congregation that are dealing with this issue of whether or not they can be courageous, whether or not they can listen and obey what you've called them to do, and whether or not they will be this unstoppable force in the exact same way that Paul was. Lord, I pray over them that they would become this unstoppable force for you. Lord, that the example of Paul would challenge our hearts to a point where we would want to be like him. But I love his statement of, I would want everybody in this room to know Christ just without the chains. Lord, he was willing to wear the chains and still tell people about King. Father, may we become this unstoppable force for you. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. You would stand as the worship team sings this song of invitation. I would tell you, or ask you, to spend some time praying, asking God to allow you to be this unstoppable force. And listen, this altar is open to you. It's open for you to sit in your chair and to pray, for you to stand in your chair and pray, whatever it is. But ask God to create in you a courageous aspect that you would be 